God told me to. This is episode three, nine. Listener, and welcome back to the Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James, and this is episode three nine. Feels so good to be back in our regular format. I cannot tell you how nice it is to just not watch a movie a day. It's been, although it was very cool, I enjoyed it very much, and I hope also that you liked uh, the episode we did with Curtis Gould. He's such a great and gracious, uh, well, not host, but person to have on the show. We always have a great time. I love watching his show. I love the guy's energy, and I hope you enjoyed that episode as fun as it was, and I appreciate him for being so kind about the episode not coming out until a month after we recorded it. So thanks again, Curtis. You're the best. Tune into the Gravely Serious podcast if you haven't already, and check out him and Michael Terror and their hilarious back and forth and dissections of horror films. So today, we are going to cover Two different films, and really just because I was wanting to jump back into something new and, you know, something recent that had just come out, and so I picked Hell House LLC Origins, The Carmichael Manor from 2023 for a few reasons. Number one, I'm a fan of the series. Well, uh, definitely a fan of the original for sure. The other two are, you know, they're okay or whatever. Are there two more? I've only seen the one after the first one, so I don't know if there's another one after that. I think maybe there is. But anyway, the original was very cool. I loved the idea of it. It was very creepy and spooky and just kind of had that, you know, low-budget sort of uh, creep feel, kind not really grindhouse, but just it was just something a little dirty about it. You know what I mean? I know you know what I mean. So really enjoyed that one, and I wanted to watch something fresh that had just come out. So there you go with that one. The next one, God Told Me To from 1976, directed by Larry Cohen. Now, the reason I saw this, to be honest with you, I was just flipping around and I saw the description of this and it was touted as one of the greatest cult classic horror films of all time. Now, I don't know if that was just one of Larry Cohen's greatest horror cult films of all time or just in general. Either way, piqued my interest because as a horror movie reviewer, I was like, I'll be the judge of that. And So I will be today. But you know what? We're going to start with the first one from 2023. This is Hell House, LLC Origins, The Carmichael Manor. Let's get into it. All right, so Hell House, we all, uh, well, hopefully you're all familiar with the series. If you are not, I would suggest go back and watch the original. I know it's on Prime. I'm sure it's on Pluto and a bunch of other places. The story itself isn't really original, even the cinematography and all that isn't really that original, but everything just kind of worked together in this perfect, you know, synergy that made it a really good movie. And what made it scary for me is it's, you know, the found footage kind of film. Obviously, it's all recorded like it was just done with somebody unprofessional, you know, handheld camera or whatever. And it's very much like, well, it very much has elements uh, combining, you know, there was a murder and these are the tapes that we found and this was the footage that was on that film. But it also kind of has the the vibes of 
paranormal activity. And what I mean by that is they really know how to hold a pause. They really know how to build that tension by just showing an empty room, you know, or having a light turn on in the middle of the night in a hallway when you know you're the only person in that house, that kind of stuff. So they did that, except for with Hell House, they added the element of a creepy clown. Now, I do not think clowns are scary whatsoever. If you're going to make a scary clown film, you want to scare me with a clown, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you know, to me, even though it was hokey or whatever, that's scarier than it is just some guy in a clown suit. Like, oh, he's a sad clown, spooky clown, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it wasn't scary. The the film It wasn't scary because he was a clown. It was scary because he was this fucking massive force, earth-destroying, you know, thing, whatever, that could dive into your fear and use whatever that was to feed off you. That was fucking terrifying. Not the fact that he had a Bozo the Clown outfit, you know, or whatever, and bad teeth. That wasn't what was scary, so I don't think clowns are scary. However, in this film, um, th it's cool makeup. It, it's a, it is a cool design for their clown. He's not necessarily scary, but they use that in the film to be scary. Uh, it ends up moving around the house, and you know, it's just an inanimate object and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, just go check it out if you haven't seen it. It is cool, and it will make this film, which turns out to kind of be a sequel, prequel kind of deal. I don't know how they managed to do that, but they did. But I think if you are a fan of the first one, you'll be a fan of this one, for sure. And our clown, of course, makes a return, as well as other clowns, which as cheesy as it is, uh, worked. It worked. And I don't know if I was just so jaded from seeing so many black and white films that I was just jonesing so bad for something recent and current that when I saw it, I was just like, oh yeah, give me all that good clown juice. I don't know what the deal was. So I will say, and we'll go ahead and start talking about the film right off the bat, the acting is sus in this film. Okay, seriously sus. The acting was fuck awful in this film. Now look, not an actor, okay? I'm sure they did a better job. Than that. I don't want to hate on no one, but if you're asking me as a horror movie reviewer, your acting was sus, bro. All of it. Everybody on there. And not only part of them, it almost played out like a stage play. It played out like a stage play in the fact that the scripting was a little too polished and all the lines delivered a little too crisp, almost like everyone's just kind of waiting on their cue. You know, everyone's just giving a line and that guy's like, okay, I'm waiting for her to finish that sentence. Okay, now I'm going to give my line. Okay, now they're done with that. Now it's time for this guy to give his line. And each person, if you've ever seen a bad stage play, the they only show emotion because they're trying to remember their line so bad that they only react when it's their turn to turn that line on. That's when they turn on the emotion. This is when it's their line. So, you know, if you're looking at the whole the stage as a whole, you'll see a bunch of people just kind of standing around. And the only person that's showing true emotion is the person who's, you know, given well, in a monologue's a different case, but the person who's talking at the time. And that's kind of how I felt watching this. So as it started up, I was like, okay, this is gonna suck. All right, we start off with uh, Bradley, who is giving a, an interview. And this, again, is going to be a found footage kind of thing. But what's cool is it's a found footage slash murder mystery, kind of like you would watch on A&E or something like that. They're doing interviews with people to talk about the people involved in the disappearance or the murder or whatever. So it's a documentary rolled into a pre-document or people that were going to make a documentary that kind of thing so one of the guys that worked with one of the main characters in this film his name is Bradley and he's part of an internet internet sleuth group and that's where our found footage is eventually going to come from but this character as well as uh, Alicia she is a, cr a true crime writer and these two people essentially will give us our setup for the film and they explain who the Carmichaels are and their story and the story of you know, Hell House and the 
apartment or where the fuck it was and the other, you know, that kind of stuff. So they kind of give us the setup. And what I mean by that is if you haven't seen any of the other films, you could watch this film by itself and it would still be a decent film and it would still be a spooky film. I, I believe it doesn't. What this film explains is the unexplained in the first two films. So if you watch the fir- if you watch this film first, I don't think it really gives anything away. It just explains what wasn't explained in the first two. So if you watch the first one, the unexplained is explained in this one. So, you know, they're kind of they don't have to be sequential for you for it to make sense whatsoever. Now, the Carmichaels essentially are a rich family deep in the woods. They have some kind of big family murder that goes on. There's a daughter and a mom are found brutally stabbed to death and their bodies are mutilated and all of a sudden both the son and the father are missing. So they just find those two victims and the other two are gone. However, they're deep in the woods and they're in a part of town. I don't remember fucking where, but there's a lot of deep snow in the winter. And there was only one set of footprints leaving the house and no. So this starts our mystery. And I'm going to say, little cliche with the rich family murder, you know, possible suicide kind of thing with someone leaving, but with the footprints leaving and no blood, I'm in. I mean, and where they play it kind of like a murder mystery, like a whodunit kind of things that come out on Netflix that everyone's super interested in. It is kind of a grab you opener, I will say. It, it definitely has you interested. Something about it, like you're like, oh, who did it? Who? How did the killer get away without, you know, fucking blood everywhere? So the things I've mentioned so far, the fact that it's kind of this murder mystery thing, uh, it's a little cliche with the rich family out in the woods. They want to be separated from everybody, and then there's a murder. And the... You know, the the polished script with the unpolished acting kind of stuff. I'm feeling like this film is going to fall into the same trap as most franchise... French, <laughs> fuck, I can't talk. Franchise sequels that I loved. Blair Witch, loved it. Paranormal Activity, loved it. VHS series, fucking loved it. Hell, even the Bad Ben movies, if you've never seen those, the first one, you know, uh, fucking cool. But all of these films kind of started out as this these underdog productions. They had shit budgets, and they were movies that no big you know production company or whatever wanted to pick up or they believed in. And so you essentially get a passion project. You get something that people were actually putting their feels into and created something that just had that level of creativity and you know passion for lack of a better word that really shines bright and then magic is made and people connect with it because it's not this super bright golden polished turd that these big production companies are putting out and something different and people you know like myself and many other horror fans eat it up and then as soon as it becomes successful of course the profit sharks they swoop in to capitalize on it and they throw tons and tons of money at these people or they'll get rid of like half the people that created it and just keep one or they'll replace the director or do whatever and say hey we got ourselves a cash cow here let's try to capitalize on this just like every fucking marvel movie ever made after the first one that's right i said it i said it i'm a horror movie fucking reviewer i said it but it's true for horror movies as well and so I felt like at the start of this film, like, is this, and, and even had my doubts as I went in, but I always try to put that stuff to the side. I want to go in completely objective watching a film and just like if I was seeing this for the first time, how would I feel about it? So I try to stick all that stuff to the side, but I will say, you know, people want to make money. And if someone made a passion project and made a shit ton of money, or I mean, it made a bunch of money unintentionally, and then someone came and dumped a bunch of ton of money on them after that film, I would say most people are going to try to make a second film. I feel like this one was definitely better than the second one, so. But it also kind of played out a little more like Blair Witch 2 than Blair Witch 3. So Hell House 2 was a lot like 
Blair Witch 3, where this film is more like Blair Witch 2 in the series. And fans of each, and if you've listened to my other episodes, you'll definitely know what I'm talking about. Anyway, getting off on a fucking rant here. It feels good to be back in the fucking driver's seat, so uh, yeah, we'll move on. I even forgot what to say. Oh, anyway, so I'm sure all these people that were, were thrilled to see the films get sequels. You know, everybody wanted to see Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity and all that kind of stuff get a sequel. But it is, I would say, nearly impossible to keep that same energy returning to the screen because the story's been told. You know, so most sequels and prequels, they try to explain something or someone in the original or they just keep, you know, the namesake of the film. None of which is what made the original magic in the first of these kind of underdog films. Not to say that sequels can't be great. There's some good ones out there. But to recreate that original hype that was kind of a grassroots hype that happened really organically, I would say, is, is nearly impossible. It's just a kind of connection and, and synergy that surrounded it that was able to create that moment in you know, history or film or whatever it was. Where after you saw it, you knew that you just saw something special or something magic or something that was a first. And yeah, so it's funny that I spend all the time saying that to say that even though this film might sort of kind of toe those waters of falling into that same trap, it's still a spooky film. I still kind of enjoyed it. Now look, as I get about 20 minutes into this film, it seems drenched in every found footage film cliche that exists. And with this corny ass acting, it doesn't help, which which got me thinking how sad of a statement that is to say that found footage cliches, that we're at a point in filmmaking where now found footage has fucking cliches. Now look, I know Blair Witch wasn't necessarily the first found footage horror film, but it came out in 1999, 20 plus years later that we have a found footage genre. It's got its own genre and it's finally starting to fall in and collapse on itself like a dying star and to become cliche. And I think that's kind of sad. It's a sad time for horror films, but also uh, an exciting time because now it's going to start to transform and turn into something else. And honestly, I'm excited to see the next evolution of horror cinema and to see where it goes and to see where they take it. And now with the introduction of AI and all these other shit that's going on, it's just going to be something totally different, I think, than what we've seen in the past. You know, maybe create, you would never think, create another genre, but they might. Fuck, who knows? So that kind of, that kind of is exciting. And is this the year for that crest to happen? Maybe, maybe not. Am I supposed to be talking about the film right now? Sure, but is there a lot to say about it? Not really. <laughs> so that's why I'm ranting on about this other stuff. All right, so let's see, back to the film. We follow a group of the internet sleuths. Well, we follow one, Margot. And Margot goes in to investigate the Carmichael Manor, which has the history of the graphic murders that happened in there. And everyone in town knows about it. So she goes to investigate because there has been reports of bumps in the night. And they show like a newscast where some guy hears like a door shut and no one else is in there but them, that kind of stuff. And Margot drags her girlfriend into this, who is not one of the internet sleuths. And also her brother brings him along. And he is also not a part of this. So now we have people involved in it that these are going to be our scaredy cats, right? These are going to be our easy scares, that kind of stuff. And right away, I want to say that Margot is fucking annoying. <laughs> and an extremely unlikable character in maybe the most petty sort of way. 
Like, she doesn't necessarily do anything bad. Like, she's not inviting these people to hurt them. She doesn't necessarily do anything to anyone to make me not like her, other than she is extremely, an insanely condescending person. And it is annoying as fuck. Now, maybe that's her character. Maybe that was the intention. But because of the poor acting of most of the people in this film, I was unable to tell. I was unable to tell if this was just poor acting and that's what's making kind of rubbing me the wrong way with this person or is it her character is supposed to be faulty in this way. You'll have to let me know what you think after watching the film. It, you know, it's almost like I don't know if she's a generic person in real life and she's having to pretend to have a personality or if she has a personality in real life and she has to pretend to be this generic. So, you know, I I, I don't know. Really, anyway, we'll move on. It, it's like a It's like a fake misplaced self-assurance and bravado which hey is like I said maybe the point I don't know maybe I'm just busting Margot's balls and giving her a hard time so my bad but but yeah I, I don't know it's just it's just weird it's just weird there's a lot of weird things like you know like I said maybe being nitpicky where I'd watched all these other films before and kind of with a critic's eye and then watching this one you know I failed to just tone that down a little bit and just enjoy the fucking film so yeah I don't know oh and the the chase character which is her brother all of his clothes look brand new, like right out of the bag, right out of the package, right off the rack, kind of brand new. I don't know why that bugged me as well, but it, it, it just did. Like, not one wrinkle in his fucking t-shirt. Is this for real? <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Back, back to the movie. Anyway, you know, uh, all that being said, it's... It, and I know I keep saying this because I, on, I have two pages of notes of me shitting all over this film. And then the last page is all just me being like, you know what? It's pretty... It is a spooky film. It had spooky moments. It gave me the chicken skin or goose flesh, whatever you call it, the little pimply things where your hair stands up. It gave me tons of those. Uh, I watched it in the dark for extra creep factor when the clowns show up and start moving when things go bang in the house when lights are turning on and you're hearing you know someone laugh or you see someone peeking around the corner absolutely fucking terrifying great parts in the film but they have to wrestle so hard with all the other stuff that i mentioned it makes you know it, it makes it a little hard for me to enjoy the film but i did enjoy all the scares so that, i guess that's what i'll say i enjoyed the scares i didn't enjoy the rest of the film if that Makes any kind of sense at all, but uh, there's another thing that Margot's character does that is really kind of funny. It's almost, you could do a drinking game with it if you want, and I encourage you to, just responsibly, of course. But she does the, again, with the condescending uh, tone of her character, the Jim Halpert condescension face. You know the Jim Halpert face, right? You know the one I'm talking about. It's like It's like the face you make when you accidentally make eye contact with someone you don't really know. You know, you, you smile and you kind of curl your lips in and you pull your eyebrows up. You sort of look like a lizard. I think I heard a comedian say, call it lizard face. So you know the one I'm talking about. Well, she does this face literally in every line she delivers almost, or at least in every single scene. And it's, with, it's tied to every emotion. Fear, anger, happy, suspicion, whatever it is, she has to throw that face in there. And I don't know what that's about. <laughs> so yeah, really... Uh, that's all I'm going to say about this film. I don't feel like you're 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 going to get exactly what you want out of this film. There's not going to be any surprised, surprises. It is scary. I, I did like all the scares, all the creepy stuff that you would expect from a Hell House film are in there. For it to give, shed some light on what created all this and the cult and all that was really, really cool. And for it to kind of not only tie the prequel, the sequel, 
and what's currently going on in that house together. That was really cool. I'm not going to give that away. I'll let you watch that and find out a little bit more. Margot uh, has a little bit more to do with all this than, than they let on. So that, that part was kind of cool too. Again, like I said, it just fought against all the other things I said earlier. But all in all, uh, I'd fucking watch it again. I know this. I know it sounds crazy because I spent 20 minutes taking a hot steamer on it. But uh, yeah, I thought it was, uh, you know, it's cool. I thought it was more interesting than a movie where people are just getting butchered up the whole film. You know, it had a cool story. So, yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, check that one out. That is Hell House LLC Origins, The Carmichael Manor, 2023. All right, next in this episode, we are going to talk about God Told Me To. That's the name of the film, just those words, God Told Me To, from 1976, directed by Larry Cohen. Let's get into it. All right, again, the reason why we're doing, you know, and sometimes I'll do two films because sometimes I definitely watch more than two a week, you know, which is what the episodes are slotted for. But I don't always put them on here because sometimes they're ones that have been done to death or they just weren't really that interesting. There's not a whole lot to say about them. But this one, like I said, in the description, put it as like the cult classic of all time. And anytime you say that, I think it's actually a good gimmick too because everyone's going to watch it then because you got to know like is this the best of all time? Well shit, I've got to know. Like they got me, right? Well, after watching this film, uh, I'll just but in case you don't want to listen to all this and you want to watch it first, I will say go watch this. Go watch this before you watch Hell House. Go watch this before you see anything else unless it's a Thanksgiving movie, which I'm really fucking stoked to see, but this was a really fucking good movie. And it was a good movie for a bunch of reasons. One, because I didn't think it was a horror movie until maybe 40 minutes into it. It just kind of was a crime drama sort of, you know, detective novel-ish kind of uh, kind of story with some weird shit going on. But I think more near the end of it, and especially by the time the movie was done, sure, we'll give it horror. It's just, it's just kind of a different genre of horror. It's definitely not like Hell House or anything like that. But with Larry Cohen being a horror-type filmmaker, I mean, of course, it's going to jump into that category with a little bleed over into other stuff. Now, Larry Cohen, if that name sounds familiar, it should. He did Maniac Cop 1, 2, and 3, Captivity, Cellular, Phone Booth, Uncle Sam, of, <laughs> of all fucking things, um, Body Snatchers, The Stuff, and Cue the Winged Spirit. Now, Cue the Winged Spirit, I haven't seen, but it is on my list. If you've seen that film, let me know if it's worth it, because I've been on the fence. Like, I don't really want to waste time watching it if it's going to suck. Because it says something about like a dragon being in the city. Is it actually a dragon? Plus it was made back kind of, I think, probably around when this was made in the 70s. So I don't want to see 70s computer animated graphics of a fucking dragon in the middle of the city. I don't see how that's going to be a horror film. But anyway, if you've seen it, let me know if I should check it out or not. On top of this, Larry Cohen did a shit ton of other films. Just look at his filmography. He's done stuff. He's been making films since he started. He's never stopped. And I will say... He is an he's a fantastic director, he's a good screenwriter, and he's done all the things. This film shot very well. The story itself was my favorite part about this whole entire film. Definitely check it out before you listen to the rest of this because I think it's worth it. And I think I'm not gonna give away the game in this uh as I explain this film anyway, because like I said, I just think it's I don't want to poison that well. I just think it's such a cool concept that I've only seen done a couple of other times. And especially done well, like it is in this one. Oh, also Larry Cohen was a big part in creating the exploitation era. And likewise, with all of his other films, they are rife with social commentary and sort of forcing us to look at ourselves and our culture. And he does that through film. 
and this film is no different. Another thing I like about this film is you don't really know where to, and I actually sent this to a friend of the podcast, Carson Winter, to get his views on it, because it's, it kind of had that same energy with, I felt like, as a fan of his, you know, horror fiction, kind of had some of the same elements, where you don't really know who to root for, you don't really know who's the bad guy, who's the good guy, and then it can become subjective, and you don't, you know, are there any good guys in this? You know, what's going on here? And then by the end of it, you, you don't know. You're indifferent. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to look to. You don't even know if you're real. What the fuck is going on? So, yeah. Now, that being said, he does not endorse this film as of the time of making this episode. <laughs> he might watch it and think it's absolute trash. I don't know. I'll update you on the episode comments. So look for that. All right, so let's move on. Actors in this film, I don't know. They're all from the 70s. None of them really stood out. I did notice that Andy Kaufman has a quick role in this film, just a quick little scene kind of in the middle. It's it's not necessarily a super important scene, but it's a notable scene in the movie. So I thought that was kind of look for him. I don't even think you'll recognize him. I had to look in the credits to see it. Didn't realize it was him as I was watching it. I'll say that. Uh, this, uh, oh, okay, one last thing. It seems like a lot of his films are about, the, and it looks like he's grown up his whole life in the city. His films very much reflect that. They're all just kind of that gritty, that, you know, nothing but concrete and steel. Just something that only someone who has lived and thrived in the city, a film that only they would be able to make. And as me, that someone that does not live in the city or anywhere close to it, it's always cool to see these kind of things. It's it's like a new world. You know, it's just like his, his ability to create that space on film for someone to enjoy and get all the feels that they are supposed to out of it, I just think is a, is a really cool thing and the sign of a great, you know, director for sure. In the vein of that, our movie starts off with a mass shooting from a water tower in the middle of the city. So how's that for an opener? So we're off and running with a bang. And then our star of the film, who we find out is a lieutenant with the police department, Nicholas, or, or a detective or something like that. He's also a negotiator. So he goes up there to talk to the shooter on top of the water tower. It is a great scene. Fantastic opener. And certainly, you know, great and believable acting with tons of tension in this opening scene. And I thought, wow, we've really ramped up to 11 just with this opener. Where do we go from here? You know, whereas I felt the last film kind of shot its load early. This film, you think, I thought, is about to do the same thing. Like, fuck, how do you top this? We got, you know, this guy's killing people in the streets, which it shows. Then this guy goes up there to talk to him, and the guy's got the gun to his head. And, of course, classic negotiator thing. Like, I don't have any weapons on me. I'm just up here to talk, buddy. Blah, blah, blah. All the kind of, you know, your typical dialogue between the two of those. But, again, it's just shot really well, and the acting's great. And, and the tension is just, whew, it is there, buddy. It's like, you are tight as you watch this. All right, so this scene ends with the guy jump-starting our mystery for the movie with its namesake, a seemingly normal guy. He's up there, he's killing people with this rifle, and he seems blissfully euphoric as he says... Well, I'll tell you anyway. God told me to. And then leaps to his death, all smiles from the tower. What an opener. You're, you're definitely 100% in, but you don't really see how this is going to be a horror film uh, with this, but you know you're about to watch something that's cool. So <laughs> I will say that. 
All right, so then as our film goes on, we have a series of other mass murders that take place, and it's kind of nonstop. Once the ball gets kicked down the hill, it continues to roll all the way up until the very end of the film where it crashes into traffic, so to say. Not literally, but so to say. Um, each one of these mass murders, as this lieutenant goes through and talks to him, they all sort of utter the same phrase, God told me to, God told me to do it, all this kind of stuff. And... And that's kind of the film is that this lieutenant, he keeps kind of jumping from incident to incident and trying to piece together what's happening. He gets a little bit more information each time he goes, but, you know, that's the whole thing. Like, at what cost? He's got to catch this guy because whoever this dude is that's telling these people to do this, he's not stopping. And more and more people are dying. So which each case he goes to, he gets a little bit more piece of information here. And eventually he kind of gets a description like... It's not these people, but it's the person that they're talking to before they go on these killing sprees. And there's nothing that really ties all these suspects to get whether well, or not suspects. I guess they were, they've all killed themselves afterwards or they hang around whatever to be caught by police. But they all uh, seemingly have been talking to the same person, the person they're referring to as God told me to. So from one of the eyewitnesses, he manages to get an ID of a mysterious young man that no one can seem to remember his face. He says it almost as if his face was blurry. And the one lady's like, well, isn't that weird that I couldn't ever really focus in on his face? And you're right. That is kind of weird. And on one or two of the other scenes, he kind of gets a similar description. We have a tall, slender, white man with long, blonde hair who, for whatever reason, no one could seem to remember his face. It's almost like the thought's been removed from my head, they say. Now this, obviously, if you've seen Frailty, uh, calls back memories of that film. This one came out first, so Frailty would be copying this film. I won't say copy, but it, it's definitely going to have that, uh, you know, that's going to shoot up to your brain as soon as you see this scene. And I'll say up to this point in the film, you, you kind of feel like it's sort of the same storyline in a way. Very similar if you haven't seen Frailty, check it out. Super good movie too. I think maybe we've talked about it on here or on someone else's podcast. I might have mentioned it, but yeah, it's another one of my faves. Check it out. Well, like I said, those uh, similarities will soon, uh, or soon wane as the story goes on. And so now our lieutenant, he ends up finding out more about our mystery guy. Also, Nicholas, the, the main character here, the lieutenant, the detective or whatever, he has an interesting backstory, too, which they get into later in the film, which becomes extremely important, but also just his current situation. And I won't go much into it, but like he's a religious guy, but he's married, but he also has a girlfriend. And there's this weird dynamic between those that they sort of they kind of crack open in the very beginning and then just kind of expect you to forget about. So when those characters come up later, you're like, why are they still here? Why are we still talking about these people? But, you know, with this great storytelling that, you know, Larry Cohen is does in this film it all does tie together real nicely by the end of the film so anyway nicholas ends up finding more about our mr guy not only is he a tall white guy with long blonde hair that's skinny he finds out more about his mother who seemed to be a prostitute or something like that who gave birth as a, a virgin i don't know how she gave birth as a prostitute but was a virgin or whatever i don't really i don't know i kind of i don't know if i just blanked that out or whatever but he said he gave a virgin birth to her son which is the guy that we think we're looking for so it's all kind of getting weird you know with all these religious references and everyone saying god told me to do it and we have this woman who gave a virgin birth to this 
person. And the doctor even says that when the baby was born, he seemingly had no or an underformed or developed genitalia that he didn't really have male or fem- female genitalia. And the doc was kind of baffled. So I was like, holy shit, you know, there, there's all these things tying together. And of course, this guy being a religious dude, he's like trying to piece it all together. And he's like, oh my gosh, there's no way, you know, kind of have that weird dynamic going on. And he's kind of struggling with that all the while, you know, people are getting murdered all across the city. And it just really, like I said, you got all that tent, you're wound so tight from that opening scene. And it's almost like uh, it just kind of unwinds slowly throughout the whole film, only to slowly tighten back up as it loosens up, if that makes sense. And I thought that was a really cool part of the film. And it sort of being a horror crime drama sort of thing, I think, I think helps with that. But it just never dies down. Now, if I did have a gripe about this film, because I want to tell you the good and the bad, is the scene transitions are crap. You just, it'll cut into a scene of him doing an interview with somebody, not telling you who the fuck that person is, what they're talking about, where he's at, and what's taking place. So you might even go to the scene of another mass shooting, you know, the aftermath of it, and he's talking to, let's just say, the killer, and you have no clue. It'll just cut from one scene that had nothing really to do with that to him talking to the murderer of another one of these mass killings, and you got no clue. It's not until they start talking back and forth, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, okay, I guess he, he did this or that. A uh, good example is that just all of a sudden out of nowhere he's talking to some guy that's in like a house coat and eventually you realize he's in this dude's house and he's asking him about the murders that he had just committed, which again, you don't even know that's what they're talking about. But the guy pretty much tells him like, yeah, I took the gun, I went in there, murdered my wife, and then I went in there and I shot, you know, my seven-year-old son and then I went in there to kill my four-year-old daughter, but she locked herself in the bathroom and I was like, hey, daddy's just playing a game, ha ha ha, whatever, gets her to come out, smokes her too, and then just sits around and waits for the cops to, and the dude is just... He's just talking casually like he's telling someone about his, you know, his walk out to check the fucking mailbox. And, you know, just kind of one of those haunting scenes in a way because this this guy's so cavalier about the statements that he's making. And the detective, he, he's already seen all this stuff happen and he knows it's going to continue to happen until he can figure it out. And so he hears all this guy saying this and he's like, well, why'd you do it? Oh, and let me say, he keeps asking people why they did stuff. Um, in police world, if people don't read you your Miranda rights and they start asking all those questions, none of that shit's admissible in court. Okay. So it it is an interesting thing that they do in this movie. And, you know, I don't know if they want to suspend disbelief or you're just supposed to assume he's already done that because the scene has already began. And that's what I mean about the scene transitions, just kind of jumping into each other. But I, you know, that's a nitpicky, stupid thing that doesn't take away from the film whatsoever. But I just thought it was an interesting take. But either way, the detective asks the guy this, and he just says that it's the least that he could do after God has done so much for him and his family. I was laughing when you shot. You don't feel any pity, do you? Any remorse? I don't think I ever felt so good. How come? Well, I, um, I, I thought I'd do something for him after all he's done. Guided my hand. 
acting or something. I, I didn't even have to be. I know what you think. You're thinking that she asked too much of me. But uh, you don't love God the way I do. You're a religious man. Not until today. It, it, it happened all at once. I've been searching for this all my life. was it in the Bible? Uh, God asked Abraham to kill his son, Isaac. Sacrifices to your God are nothing. Why are you looking at me as though I were the first? Life doesn't matter. None of us are. And he can tell that the detective's looking at him kind of crossed, you know, like, hey, you know, you're a fucking sicko, you know, or whatever. And he looks, the, the, the guy that's the killer, he looks at him all surprised and he's like, you know, sacrifices to your God is nothing new. You know, there's stories of sacrifice in the, uh, all throughout the Bible and all this kind of stuff. So they kind of start trying to blur these lines and tie the two together. And he's supposed to be this devout Catholic kind of thing. And then these other people are talking about God and they're like, oh, it's the same God. So he ends up flying off the handle and like swinging on this dude. And it's just, you know, like I said, the tension, it had wind down a little bit, starting to turn back up a little bit. You know, they just keep messing with that knob. Right, so after this, the lieutenant is starting to get a little unhinged, and his bosses at work are starting to notice, so they're trying to pull him off of this case, like, hey, it's too much. You know, you're going a little too far with some of this stuff, um, but the lieutenant is just hell-bent on finding this mystery messiah, and I really don't want to say too much more about it. I really just want to... Really, just think you should watch this film. I don't want to tell you the end of this, one, because it kind of ties a bunch of things together that are just going to get just kind of kind of boring like as as I talk about them it's a lot more exciting to watch it but I will say that you will not be disappointed I promise he you know he, he finds him and then there's this bit he does find him and there's this big reveal but then and it's fucking wild and then oh shit you, you're like shit there's still 30 more minutes of movie left what the hell's gonna happen is there gonna be this big showdown or whatever and it goes on and there's another big reveal and you're like oh my gosh keep hitting me with this show. oh my gosh so can it get any crazier it almost the last half the last third of the movie you, uh, for me anyway, I had no clue had you know, what was going to happen based on the first two thirds of the movie, and even though that transition is a little stark, it doesn't take away anything. It totally makes sense, and you're like, oh my gosh, what a fucking awesome, you know, switcheroo. So yeah, if you have Amazon Prime, it's on there for now. I'm hopefully in your area. You know how that goes. I've complained about that before. Also on Pluto, which I'm, I'm sure it'll have commercials and stuff, but I don't think it'll ruin the movie too much because it's already from the '70s, so it's going to be a little you know, 70s, <laughs> you know, it are, commercials aren't going to ruin it, I promise. But yeah, check it out. You know, th- this film really, you watch it and you're gonna be like, whoa, James, you thought this was awesome? Yeah, you know, I did. And mainly it's because the the concepts are what's cool in this movie. It, you know, as far as what's on the film itself, it's nothing super spectacular, but just the ideas, the story, how it's written and all that are just fucking tops. And it was such a such an idea that isn't necessarily abstract, I would say even less abstract today, given all the access to technology and all the things that we've been exposed to and all the stuff they talk about maybe in ancient Egypt and hieroglyphs and what's going on. I don't know. You just have to check it out. But I will say if you want movies to compare it to as far as ideas, uh, like I said, Frailty, it's kind of like Frailty. It is a lot like the 2017 film Devil's Gate. Am I the only fucking person on the planet who saw that movie? Please tell me. Someone else out there, have you seen Devil's Gate from 2017? If you have, just tell me your 
we're in solidarity together. That was a fucking cool movie. And uh, with again, with other great cool ideas, you just don't see that done much very well. And it was done great in that film. Also uh, more of a low-budget film, I would say. But it was a, a conceptual banger for me. And it's got sort of some elements, some Prometheus-type story kind of stuff in it. And Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I think you kind of get the idea of where I'm going with this. So definitely check out God Told Me To. 1976 like i said i would watch it well it depends on what you want if you just want your your jump scares and your creepiness you know in the dark and hallway lights turning on which i love i would watch hill house again check that one out but if you want something that's a little more out of the box and more conceptually spooky just to kind of make you feel small and insignificant check out god told me to 1976 but that is the end of our episode today. Episode three, nine. We are back into the swing of things. If you have a movie suggestion or a suggestion for anything or you want to be a part of the show, let me know at just James Horror Podcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is the Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James.